right, here we are, episode two of the Hayden Wild Triathlon Podcast. And yep, it's me again, Hayden, joined by the usual co-host, Hammer, my brother, who is a local New Zealand star of the radio DJ scene. Hey, Hamish, how are you, mate? Yeah, what an intro. I'm uh, I'm blooming good. Did you write that one up yourself? <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't get AI to do it this time. <laughs> yeah, and Jack, how are you, mate? I'm good. I'm good, Hayden. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be back here on the Hayden Wild Triathlon Show and really excited for our guest today. Yeah, me too. So um, our fourth our fourth host and our second guest, um, yeah, I'm a huge fan of him. Uh, I've been a fan for him for years, so I'm actually super stoked to actually get him here on the podcast. Um, he's an absolute legend of the sport. Uh, I think personally one of the greatest uh, short course athletes uh, ever. Javier. How are you, mate? I'm good. Thanks. Well, what an intro. Thank you, guys. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a pleasure to be with you. And uh, yeah, it's pretty cool that this finally podcast more focused on short course. So uh, yeah, really excited. Yeah, and it's it's kind of nice to get, a, well, I would say three Kiwis on the show plus an Aussie. So uh, it's actually really nice. <laughs> yeah, it's two and a half, two and a half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How is life, mate? Like, you know, you're you obviously, uh, you know, you've obviously gone to the um, the long course stuff now and, and training mm-hmm. for that. But uh, you know, you've got yourself a a lovely, a lovely little family going on back in Spain. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. yeah, obviously saw you in New Zealand a couple of times. But it's um, yeah, tell us about that. Tell us about your kind of, um, I guess, your new chapter. Yeah, well, there are some positives. Definitely having a, a daughter as as the, the main one, and we are so happy with her. She's amazing. She was born in New Zealand. So far, she only has a New Zealand passport. We are sorting that out here in Spain. Um, but um, yeah, she is great and Annika's doing great. And that's uh, it's been a, an extra boost of motivation and, and energy for me. Other than that, it's been pretty bad. <laughs> um, you know, it's been a pretty hard season. Last year, um, before right before St. George, I got sick with COVID. Um, literally the last day of a training camp in Sierra Nevada in high altitude. And yeah, I was really happy with my training. I think I was, uh, well, I don't think it's, it, it's a fact that I was fitter than ever for a long course race. And I was really happy with dance training. And um, actually that day he told me, uh, you know, because I was going to go to St. George a couple of weeks before the race. And he said, oh, I think you are actually, you know, fit enough. We were going to do a couple of hard uh, sessions in St. George, but he said, oh, just let's not do that and take it easy. You're fit enough, just recover and you're ready to race. Um, unfortunately, I got sick and it, it hit me quite hard. I don't know if it was because, you know, after a big training camp, I was a bit, my immune system was a bit low. And uh, yeah, it took me a while to recover from that um, you know, with a few health issues. And then when I was finally um, back on track and, and training well, um, I got a stress fracture in my femur, which took too long to recover. Then another stress fracture in my foot. So it's been a horrible year. Um, and yeah, quite frustrating, but I'm still, you know, trying to come back and still working hard. I'm not making too much noise, you know, I'm following the races, following what you guys do, following what the long course guys do. And, you know, I still love the sport. I still think that I have something to give. So I'm, I'm working hard to come back. Have you, something I'm noticing at the moment is that yourself and Alistair Brownlee are both chronically injured and go through mm-hmm. these periods of really good training, getting fit for a race, get a, get a pretty bad injury. And then that cycle sort of repeating itself, maybe with you even a little worse than Alistair. Is it a coincidence that both of you boys are going through that same cycle or 
is it not a coincidence? And, it, and does it all stem back from the years and years of training and yeah. hard racing you boys had to do to, to try and beat each other? Yeah, I guess we raced too hard uh, in the past. No, I mean, I mean, it's the fact that I'm I'm actually four years older than Alistair. I'm I'm 40 now, so you know the body's not the same as when I was 25. I feel that the engine's still there, but I have to look after my body much better. And uh, I was quite lucky with injuries in my career. I never had too many. You know, I was in the podium of World Series for uh, I don't know 10 or 12 years. That means a good consistency and not major injuries on the way. But after COVID, I don't know if it has something, COVID has something to do or not, but uh, I've been struggling a lot. And uh, yeah, it could be. I mean, it's also a fact that I'm probably the the triathlete that I did the most racing uh, ever, you know, of high high level. I've been racing at the highest level since 2003, really. So that's 20 years. Um, yeah, and it, it takes its toll. But um, as I said, you know, I've if I have to retire tomorrow, I'm more than happy with my career, but I still feel that I have something to give and I still enjoy the process and I enjoy, uh, you know, trying to get better every day. I know that I'm not going to be any better in short course, but I believe that I can be better in long course because I never really trained uh, properly for it. So that that's my main focus. Do you miss the short course training and the short course stuff or are you really enjoying what you're getting into now? In a way, I do miss it. I mean, that's, that's where that was my whole career. And I, I love racing short course and I love following these guys, Hayden and Alex V and all the great uh, talents we have now in short course. But then I see the, the start of the Punto One, I see them all lining up at the Punto It's like, mm, I'm all right here just watching, you know. <laughs> I don't miss that fight. Um, I had enough of that. But I'm a huge fan of the sport and I love following the short course, definitely. What made you call it a day in the short course arena? Um, I don't know. I guess... I wasn't that excited about training for it anymore. And, you know, I was, I stopped after uh, Tokyo 2021. I was already 38 years old. So it was about time. Probably I should have uh, stepped up to long distance a bit earlier than that. But um, that would have been the, the reasonable thing to do. But, you know, I still love short course and I just wanted to do it, even though I probably could have had better results in long course. You know, I was winning 70.3 world titles without proper preparation for them in 2014 and 2017. So if I was focused purely on that, um, at that time, I could have won more races, but I, I just did what I loved and I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah, like just just a touch on that. So like I know all triathlon nerds love a great stat. I don't think people understand how good you were at short course. I know I just went back through your stats again and I did some calculations and You've had 131 starts over your, you know, 20-year um, career. Um, you've had 81 podiums over those 131, which is like a 64% podium rate over your whole career. And you've had 46 wins out of those podiums, which is a 35% win rate. You've podiumed more times than I've actually raced in my whole life. Like, that is insane. <laughs> you're, st you're still young, mate. You have time. <laughs> And even touching on that as well, you know, obviously you've won five um, ITU world titles uh, in that series. So, you know, that's um, that's huge, you know. Uh, that's It's hard to be that consistent um, in getting those titles, you know. Yeah, I'm definitely really proud of that. And especially considering the race in the same era as the Brownlees, you know, without them, I yeah. probably would have won more races. Um, yeah. But that made it more exciting and actually made me a better athlete, you know, trying to figure out how to do it to be competitive with these guys. 
Um, but I also did lots of um, other races, you know, some 70.3s. I did lots of um, Olympic distance non-drafting, which was my favorite distance. And unfortunately, we don't have a good uh, circuit of those races anymore. Um, mm. I used to go to the States and do three or four per year. Um, and I love them. And, you know, lots of local races in Spain, uh, French Grand Prix, you know, so many races. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I guess having problems now and different issues, different injuries, is kind of normal considering everything I've done. Yeah. And I guess just touching on that as well, like French Grand Prix, um, you know, we're, we're actually both in the same team, Leovan, um, yeah. managed by Lolo. Like what do you, yeah. how, I guess as an athlete um, I, and, and myself, how do you compare, I guess, French Grand Prix racing and Bundesliga racing also um, to like ITU? I think it's so competitive. It's, I guess with those 120 starters on the French Grand Prix, it's just insane, you know? It's an absolute dogfight. Like, what are your thoughts on, on French Grand Prix and, and how that, I guess, makes France this, like, such a dominant force? Just they have that, I guess, that level of, of talent. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, French Grand Prix make uh, the uh, WTS races look easier or, or way cleaner, you know? <laughs> when you go to WTS and you have your spot and, you know, your start. And, um, but it, it, that's, yeah, that's the key, you know? They have these races and, I've been racing the French Grand Prix since 2006, and and in my team before uh, Levin, I was, uh, you know, teammates with the Brownlees, with Mario Mola, great athletes. So it would be four of us in Starline, and then two French guys under 23. So these kids were racing us, you know, without any pressure, but racing against the best in the world. So when they eventually got better and made the French team, it was just another race going to WTS. You know, they had been doing that for years, you know. So that experience is it's a key, and that's why they are so good in France, you know. And they are all great swimmers, you know. The the, the race dynamics in the French races, and it's always really fast, and everyone has uh, it's his role, you know, what to do in the race. And it, yeah, it's it's a great training experience for us. And I mean, living in in Spain is quite close to France, so I use them as as preparation races so many times. Yeah, and I guess just like touching on two more events that you've done. I, I got to touch on your exterior world title just because uh, I come from that background. Uh, how do how do you how did you enjoy the 2012 World Champs? I guess <laughs> what was it raining? Like because I know when it, the four years I did my World Champs, I don't think I got one good one good dabble of weather in Maui. It's consistently wet. Yeah. It's oh, really? going up those going up those pineapple plants. You know, it was yeah. uh, it was hard going. Hey? Yeah, no, it it was a perfect day. Uh, if if it was if it rained, I wouldn't have won for sure because I'm not uh, really talented on a mountain bike. But the thing is, that I was really fit. That was um, the week after the grand final in Auckland, so I flew straight, uh, which I won. So I was fit. I flew straight to Maui, and the specialized crew there, you know, they had the uh, the, me the mechanics from the mountain bike, so they set up my bike perfectly for the conditions, which I had no idea. And I just what I did that week is try to learn the course uh, as much as I could. And yeah, the first part is just uphill. It's not really technical. So I just push as hard as I could and try to not kill myself in the downhill. <laughs> um, and yeah, and, and I, I wanted, I didn't expect that, but um, I have to say it wasn't super technical. And um, yeah, being really fit, that, that definitely helped. <laughs> yeah, and I guess, you know, it was 2012. So that was coming off World Champs, but it was also coming off the 2012 London Olympics. Mm. I guess you and I have both been on that that podium. How was I guess for London for you though? You know, like you you stepped into the UK and it was 
obviously Brownlee Central that that had to obviously did that take a little bit of pressure off you in, in a sense of you know it's it was the Brownlee's home home race the pressure I guess would be massive but you guys have been fighting uh for so long uh, yeah. through that ITU kind of period like how was how was that feeling uh getting that yeah that silver well in terms of pressure I guess internationally they had a lot of pressure they were racing at home and in the UK but for me in Spain I had a lot of pressure as well because I was supposed to get a medal and you know I knew these guys are going to be in the podium for sure so there's one more spot um so it's going to be quite tough um but it was the best out of all my Olympic experiences not only was the the one that I performed the best but generally the Olympics in London were amazing you know the crowd and the organization way better than Beijing or definitely Tokyo I hope you get to live soon a proper Olympic experience Hayden because Tokyo uh, was a great race for you but uh, but (laughs) but, you know but other than that all the all the restrictions was not uh, yeah, yeah, it wasn't a proper Olympic experience, so I'm sure you you live a much better one in Paris. Um, but London was great, and still today was probably my best race ever, even though I didn't win it. Um, but you know, I couldn't think uh, a, be- a better. I wasn't prepared to race any faster. You know, I did the best swim I could. I was, I had a pretty good ride, and and you know, I didn't make mistakes having the Browns in a domestic of them trying to to attack and to break away. And I think I control the situation pretty well and then I ran 29 uh 14 I think uh, which was the best I could do without carbon plate back back then not bad sub sub 29 easy yeah well, yeah and I just yeah I just there was a guy better than me but to the day I'm I'm really proud of that performance yeah do you do you ever sit there sometimes and just think or do you look back on it and think of times and you're sitting there you're just like how am I going to beat this guy at the biggest race is that how you ever thought about Alistair because obviously that's probably the main guy you're thinking of the whole time is Alistair do you recall sitting there and just thinking those like how am I going to do it how am I going to beat this guy yeah I had that thought many times and (laughs) also before London because the race before WTS before I think he came back from an injury he hadn't raced for a long time and he turned up in Kitsville I think it was and he dominated. He put like one minute. I, I think I was second that race and he ran like a minute faster. And I was like, well, I think I can get a bit better, but how am I going to beat this guy? You know? So yeah, you just, in the end, you, you can only focus on what you can do and your performance and your training. So I knew I had to step up my game and that's what I did. And I was pretty close and in London, but uh, well, it was not enough, but yeah, definitely both him and his brother, maybe a better athlete, you know, uh, for many years I had to, work so hard to um to be competitive with them and and so but that also made the races taste so good when i finally beat them you know that was, that was a great experience javier during that 2012 olympic race was there ever a point where you felt like you were going to win um the first lap on the run it was the three laps and i thought that we were actually going slower than we were actually running but i saw the gap to the fourth guy and it was about 20 seconds already. And I was like, mm, I actually feel not too bad. Um, let the race go a little bit more in the last 3K. I'll make my move. But uh, Alistair started to push in harder and harder. And I, and that thought kind of, uh, you know, went away. And at the point, it was like, okay, just try to keep up. <laughs> just try to hang on. And, and he just ran progressively from start to finish, increasing the pace more and more and more until... He dropped his brother and eventually he dropped me with a couple of K to go. But yeah, my my plan was to try to hang on and make my move around K7, 6 or 7. 
but yeah, I just couldn't do it. And with that era of triathlon, do you sort of look back at it and and hold any resentment to like, why did I have to race against that guy, the best that we've ever seen in the sport, probably still the best that we've ever seen? And do you wish that you had been in your prime either a little bit earlier or a little bit later? No, I think I think that was great for them and it was great for me. In Spain, people still remember, they, people still ask me, are you still you know, people not really into triathlon, they ask me if I'm still racing these British guys, you know, they, because he, he went, it, it was quite a, quite a thing here in Spain. And I remember Johnny saying the same, they still ask, ask them, you know, are you still racing this Spanish kid? Um, so I think it was great, you know, as I said, I probably would have won more races and they probably would have won more races without me, but I think it was good for the sport and, and yeah, and I wouldn't change anything. Uh, I love challenges and, that was definitely a big challenge um, racing these guys. Yeah, I think it left a huge legacy in, in short course racing, that whole Brownlee-Javier battle. But there were so many other athletes in that era. I remember that one race. Uh, I totally I forgot what race it was, but you could probably obviously know. It was that, that last running league, and it was like Ryan Bailey, yourself, the Brownleys, um, Richard, um, yeah. Mario, so what race was that? And that was because that was insane. That it was just an ultimate running race, and I don't think we've ever seen that since. It's always one yeah. or two guys at the front, and but that was just like an eight-man train of just guys absolutely gone for it. Uh, how, yeah. What was that race like? Because that that just looked um, awesome. Yeah, that was London. I don't know if it was twenty fourteen or fifteen, and it was a sprint race. So, twenty fourteen. Yes, twenty fourteen. Right. Yeah. That was sprint race and sprint races. Yeah, it's really hard to get away on the bike. It's always a big bunch. And, and there was a running race with great runners and a lot of people really fit, like Mario, Richard, uh, the Brownies, myself, Ryan Bailey. Yeah, it was a crazy last K. Yeah, definitely. Pereira is sort of the forgotten man of that group, I reckon. Yeah, Pereira. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's so he's so good when he has a good day. <laughs> and and the, the funniest thing about that was that the year before you had been involved in probably the greatest sprint finish in triathlon history with Johnny Brownlee uh, in, on like the same course. And then the next year got involved in it again. Uh, it was some pretty crazy racing at that period, wasn't there? Yeah, pretty crazy. And and to be honest, I, I I didn't win too many sprint finishes in my career, especially before the Brownlee's era, you know, racing uh, Brad Caliphill, Bevan Doherty. These guys were really quick in the end. You didn't want to sprint with these guys. Um, but I got to win a few important ones. Uh, the grand final in 2012, the grand final in 2013, uh, that one in London you just mentioned, um, and a couple of them in, in Yokohama against Mario and against Alistair. So, um, yeah, I felt that I was a better sprinter if it was a tough race, an Olympic distance race. Um, but in sprint races, I, I wasn't that good. Hayden um, was actually talking about it yesterday or the day before and he goes you know like i wish i just had that extra little bit for the big sprint finish like hayden's been in a couple of sprint finishes first one ever was mario mola i believe at super league was that was your first one i had in your first yes yeah, first time i kind of yeah what on earth is going through your head when you come around because normally you come around a corner you get onto that blue carpet what is going through your head when you're just like side by side with another man and you're just absolutely giving it ham do you even think of anything or is it just like turn the legs turn the legs let's yeah. get this thing going yeah, <laughs> I, I guess you don't think that much. You know, you think way more when you see it after and you start to, you know, go, lots of thoughts going through your mind. But at the moment, um, I knew pretty clearly that we gonna have, we, we were going to have a headwind coming home. So uh, 
my strategy was simple. Okay, just try to um, to push him to start a sprint, hopefully too early, and just stay behind him and you know and pass him with uh, with 100, 200 meters to go. And and I think he, uh, yeah, we were racing in London. The whole crowd was going crazy. Even his brother stopped to cheer him on. And I think he he started too early, you know. Um, and I thought, well, now it's the the tactics are clear for me, you know. Just stay behind him, and and hopefully he, yeah, he can keep up until the end. So, and I saw him when we got into the blue carpet. I saw him start to slow down, and you know his technique was not that good anymore. So I just okay, just hold your breath and push as hard as you go as you can until the finish line. Yeah, is that one major thing that you're looking at um, when you're coming down onto that last bit? Is you're looking at the other guy's form? Um, at that day, I did. I, it was pretty obvious that he was struggling, in, in, and I could feel the wind even sitting behind him. So I thought, this is my chance. You know, he went too early, and this is, uh, this is feeling too long for him. So let's try now. <laughs> Read this one race. Um, there's a pretty iconic moment where Alistair Brownlee had an Achilles injury, um, and he stops. He's sort of sitting in about 18th or 19th at the time. And he stops on the side of the road, on the other side of the road, and he points to his head, and you can hear him like saying something. And later on, we'd we'd go on to to uh, learn that he said, "Race with your fucking head" to to Johnny, so that's pretty much telling him to that that you can beat him in a sprint finish. Just don't go too early. That's what he came out and said. And then he did the exact thing that Alistair was like yelling at him across the side of the road not to do. Did Did you remember yeah. hearing that at the time? I couldn't hear anything. I was just, there were so many people screaming on the side of the road that it was hard to understand anything. But I don't know if that kind of fired him to start actually sprinting too early. I don't know if he actually understood what Alistair was saying or, you know, in the heat of the moment, he just started and and, and said, okay, you know, it's going to be a long sprint. Let's see, uh, let's see how, how this goes. <laughs> yeah, and I guess talking about crowds, venues, all things courses what is your favorite what was your favorite race i guess in the aspect of like a course because i guess in the last few years you know uh when i was racing you you know you you were obviously your your prime your absolute prime when you were absolutely dominating i i never got to i guess experience the full full harvey which is like i wish i could chuck myself in a time machine and race you guys because that racing just like it just that's all about the racing i love there was like hard courses it was auckland madrid uh, Kitzbühel. What are your thoughts on courses like now being a little bit narrow, being a little bit more dangerous? Do you think they should be a little bit more kind of less PG and more aggressive, more hard? What's your thoughts yeah. on courses these days? Yeah, my honest thought about courses these days is that they are stupid, most of them. Um, <laughs> you know, it, even places like Hamburg, you know, we used to do Olympic race there, technical course, but without stupid cones in the middle of the road or, you know, and turning. So that allows, I guess, groups to work together and more things actually happen. When you do a crazy technical course with lots of cones, the only thing, the only interesting thing you see are crashes, you know, and you don't want that. So I don't know. I don't, I'm not really a big fan of these courses now. They, I think they are dangerous. Everyone right? so nervous and you don't see too many things happening. You do two technical courses. There's just a single file of people. And but if you want to see, you know, the first breakaway working together and the second group trying to catch up and working together and attacks and things like that, I think they have to be technical, but not not stupid, you know. Yeah. Um I agree. That that's my 
that's my my vision of that. And in terms of uh, the, the best courses, I I was a big fan of Auckland. I love that course. It was yeah, fairly technical, uh, hard, hilly, um, in a great place. Uh, lots of spectators, and yeah, it was one of my favorite races. I always perform well there. Um, also, in terms of crowd, London Olympics was the the best one by far. And another one that I have to mention, real special for me, was winning. Even though the title is not the most important in my career, but winning long course worlds in in Pontevedra, which is my hometown, and the crowd was amazing. And I'm sure you guys are going to experience a a great crowd in the grand final. Um, yeah, I can't wait to to see the see you guys raising my hometown. It's going to be pretty cool. But you're going to have a lot of lot lot of support there. <laughs> well, while rumor has it, Pedro, your training partner is actually was is from Pontevedra, but you're the king there. I, I hear rumor from <laughs> well, Dr. Dan Plews and Co. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. D- Dan was here. Spent some time here. He he liked it, but um, yeah, the town gets really involved with all the events, and they love triathlon. They've been doing lots of triathlon races here since uh, 2005 and 2006. So it's, yeah. it's a huge deal for the city. And um, yeah, I'm sure you guys as athletes, you will, you're going to love racing with a big crowd. Is it right if I just ask Javier about one race that I think gets forgotten about all the time in Javier's career, which is the Beijing Olympics. Now, the Beijing Olympics have become a pretty big deal because they're the thing that makes Jan Fredino the goat in everyone's mind. Like he he won the gold medal at the Olympics and then went on to win the Ironman World Championships three times. But leading into that 2008 Beijing Olympics, Javier Gomez was the favourite by so far it's not even funny. Like probably a bigger favourite than what than what Alistair Brownlee was in 2012 and 2016. But then an, an, another famous sprint finish where you weren't on the, the right end of things, Javier. And you, you sort of get forgotten about in that race, despite being the, the biggest favorite in Olympic triathlon history. Can you tell us what actually happened there? Well, that's uh, the, probably the hardest race in my life in terms of um, I struggled a lot after that result because, uh, as you said, I was dominated that year. I won every race, including the World Championship that year. And and that was probably my mistake. You know, I got too excited with Olympics. I was uh, very fit. Too early in March, in February, won Malulava, and you play move um, uh, world champs in Vancouver. And you always think you can get better and better. But um, I remember a couple of months before the Olympics, I started to have a nail in my Achilles tendon, which got worse and worse. And um, the final preparation was a nightmare. I couldn't barely run out. I would only try to do the track sessions and no easy runs. Uh, always in pain, waking up in the morning and and yeah with a lot of in a lot of pain and yeah, it was a lot of pressure on me probably and I was probably too young um to deal with it so yeah I mean I had a pretty tough race there I I knew I wasn't running at my best level I was in the first group with these guys and and yeah and another mistake I, I made was uh Simon Whitfield was almost out of the uh, the contention, you know, he had dropped a couple of times, but we kept slowing down and he would bridge the, the gap and be back with us. And, and yeah, that gave him wings to sprint in the end. And I was the yeah fourth position and out of the medals. But yeah, that, that was a really, really tough one, especially because I remember the year before um, in the test event, I, I ran even faster than than Jan to win that race. Uh, yeah, so I, I knew I was capable of that. But my mistake of the, in the preparation, you know, I, I, getting injuries is usually the athlete's fault, you know, when you try to push too hard and you don't listen to your body. 
something that probably I wouldn't do the same way now, but you know, when you're 23, 24, that's the way it was. And uh, yeah, that still now, now it's, that was, I don't know, 15 years ago and it still hurts, you know, to think about that race. Cause I, you know, I think that was the, the Olympics that I could, I could have won. Um, because in London, I did the best race I could possibly do. And I got second. I'm happy with that. Um, but in Beijing, I know I didn't do my best race. And yeah, that's, that's upsetting. But that's a sport. You know, Jan did much better. He did a better preparation. He had a final sprint. So um, that's the way it was. It's crazy that even now, 15 years on, like I'm literally sitting here watching you tell that story for people who, who can't see this, obviously listening. And you look like in physical pain telling that story. <laughs> yeah, it, it hurt a lot, especially the years following that. And um, I had a lot of pressure in Spain and uh, the media was not very really nice to me after that performance. You know, they were all expecting me not only to medal, but to win that race. And when you finish fourth and yeah, it's probably the worst place that I wanted to be. And I would rather, uh, maybe now I, I'm I'm happy with a fourth place, happier than if I was 10th. But uh, back in the day, I would have, prefer to to be 10th you know or 20th and 4th you know what was the worst possible scenario but yeah that it was a good learning experience though and and that helped me in london not to make the same mistakes and and get to the day in the race day really fit in my best shape ever yeah i guess that kind of touches on very much like uh i guess the hamish carter scenario like i sat down with hamish before going into tokyo he was an awesome mentor and, you know, he said he went into um, Sydney, you know, he was a hot favorite and he was, you know, he was really up himself, he said, uh, in that race. And and then it came crashing down for him. But then he came back, for, you know, four years later and, and absolutely yeah. smashed it in, uh, in Greece, you know. So it's cool to see um, that you obviously came back and then you just, you know, dominated for, for years and years. Uh, but, yeah, we'll go back on to, to Jack. What have your observations been through through the chat like currently like what are your what are your thoughts on this man okay so my my observations this week my my short course observations are tricky because when you don't have races it becomes a little bit harder like there's not as many talking points my my first observation is is that the WTCS needs to hire someone whether it's a with Talbot Cox or whoever it is and they need to go and spend one or two days with the top 10 favorites from both the male and the female races um, and like create a day in the life or two days in the life video series where there's a place for, for long course triathlon fans and triathlon fans in general to go across and consume something that's really fun and, and helps us get to know the athletes because um, I don't know if this is hard for you to hear Hayden, but I feel like we're in a period where short course triathlon is becoming less and less and less and less relevant every year that goes on. And probably that's fitting with Javier here, who was involved in the period of the sport where it had the most attention and was the most popular it's ever been. I feel like because long course triathlon and triathlon in general, they get a lot of fans from being a participation sport. So people participate in it. And then as a, a byproduct of that, they become fans of it. Not too many people participate in these WTCS races or go to them. So the the, the people watching them are really 
um, they're from certain countries or they're like family and friends and, and that kind of thing. I feel like we need to inject a little bit of life and fun in, in getting to know the current crop of both male and female athletes. And I feel like YouTube or something like that would be a really good platform for it. And, you know, see what uh, – the reason I bring up a guy like Talbot Cox is see what he's done for a, for a guy like Lionel Sanders who is far from the best triathlete in the world. He's a really good triathlete and he's had some world-class performances but he's the most popular triathlete in the world because of the presence he has on, on, on a platform like YouTube. And I'd love to see it like a day in the life of Hayden Wilde, a day in the life of Alex Yee, a day in the life of Sophie Coldwell. And I'd love to sit there and watch them and get to know the, the characters and, and, and the people. And uh, I think that would pique and, and, and probably pique a lot of people's interest going into Paris. Um, and, and on that, this is sort of like a side point, but we'll call it my, my second observation. And, and this one is definitely because Javier Gomez is with us today. Short course triathletes need to embrace rivalries. Every single sport in the world is made better because of rivalries. We're sitting here with Hayden Wild. He could have one of the all-time great rivalries with Alex Shear right now. I feel like short course athletes are a little scared to fully embrace the rivalry, but for the benefit of the fans and and being entertained, like being uh, in the entertainment business, not just the, the the business of winning races, I think that could really help like lift the, the sport of short course racing. And then my, my last two observations are more about the mechanics of racing. I feel like, and again, inspired by Javier Gomez, I feel like women's short course racing at the moment, particularly like maybe the last couple of years, is really starting to remind me of the early, like the early years when Alistair Brownlee, Jonathan Brownlee and Javier Gomez started on the scene. Prior to that, men's racing was, it was like, quite slow in the swim in the bike relative it had a few fast swimmers but you could still be quite a slow swimmer and, and work your way back up to the front of the race and, and win it with your run then Javier Gomez came along and then Alistair Brownlee came along and that was just not possible anymore you you had to be one of the world's best swim bikers to then let your run shine through and and that's what Javier and Alistair did so well and I feel like we're seeing that a little bit at the moment with like Taylor Spivey and and like Taylor Nib and Sophie Coldwell and Flora Duffy you know, you can't just be a good runner and win, win women's WTCS races anymore. And number four, with that being said, I think the run is back to being absolutely everything in the men's short course racing scene. I believe the winner of the men's Paris Olympics will have the fastest run of the day, whereas I believe the women's winner won't have the fastest run of the day. That will come from the chase pack. Yeah, so... I definitely agree. I'm going to start with the, 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 I guess the women's racing at the moment. And I've always said it to myself and a few people in the, in the racing scene as well as it's definitely what it was like when it was that era between Harvey and the Brownies, you know, there's that group, that, that getaway group of five or, or 10 athletes up the front. And it's not the fastest, you know, there's definitely amazing runners. You have Georgia, Sophie's now showing up. Taylor Spivey's uh, running amazingly. Uh, Cassandra Bogrand. But you've got so many other massive runners that are, you know, four minutes behind because that group is just so dominant in the the swim and the bike. But then now they can also show their run prowess, um, which I think. And then, yeah, the men's race, I think everyone's just come up so much in the swim that, you know, from last to, to first is only – 50 seconds more or less and the line's so long that that gap just closes so quick and then it becomes a running race and you have some amazing runners obviously alex um morgan pearson 
uh, Matt McElroy, and the list goes on. Yella, Mario, still there. You know, it's it's insane how many how many runners there are. But there's the, definitely that that difference of what the male and the female racing is is so different at the moment. It's crazy. Yeah, if I, if I can um, go back to the first one, I'm going to try quickly rattle off four different things for Jack's four observations. I think that's a great thing that we should be seeing. You know, the top 10 athletes should have time spent with um, making, you know, little... You can that, That's how you build the rivalries to then move on to your second one. It's how you build a rivalry. Um, I just think that with the rivalry with Hayden and Alex, you know, they started together as nobodies and they've started moving up. So it's probably hard for them to build a rivalry together. Obviously, there is that rivalry, but it's probably hard for them to make it because, like, let's be real, Alex is a bloody nice guy and Hayden's Hayden. He just takes the piss, you know. They're both pretty fucking chill. Um, so I think it's hard for them to do that. Like, hey, we on outside would love to sit there and watch them probably, you know, not cuddle all the time and not have those yarns all the time because it would just build it so much more. But it's just who they are, I guess. So there's that rivalry. Super League have been trying to do that so many times. They put us into yeah. a one room and they just tried... They just try and make us cut shades at each other. It's hilarious. <laughs> well, it's like when you two, when Super League did that thing, you two were like lying on the bed. I, so many of my mates or people just around like our hometown in Fakatani were just like, oh, that was cute. Like, you know, they, they had a nice little bonding session on, on the bed. And I was like, yeah, I don't think that's what that was designed for. I think it was designed to build something, but it, I don't think you can build something out of those two. Back in the day, when things went so chill, I guess you, you probably could have. And then with your other two points, I think I totally agree with Hayden and what you said, Jack. I, I just don't think rivalries have to be this aggressive thing though. Like did Javier Gomez yeah. ever, you know, say, go out into the press and say negative stuff about Alistair Brownlee? Not really. Does Roger Federer ever go out and say negative things about Novak Djokovic? Not really. Now, some of the great rivalries of all time that transcend that do become a bit fiery. But not every great rivalry has to be a shit-talking thing. It can be the two best in the world or, you know, these two people with a backstory. Maybe they don't necessarily go after each other, but people know the story of why there is a rivalry. Um, yeah, I think it's important to invest a bit more money in the production of the races, you know, and that includes, you know, all the pre-racing stuff and, you know, get to know the characters a bit better to create those rivalries, which, as you say, Jack, they don't have to be negative, you know. You just need to know the athlete a bit better personally and maybe you identify more with this athlete or more with this other athlete. Um, and the athletes themselves, you know, they need to understand that this is this is a game in the end of the day, you know. Uh, I remember uh, before 2015 World um, uh, Grand Final, going for the day before going for a run with Mario and the next day I was going to race for the world title with him and we understood that we, we are rivals, you know, we're going to race as hard as we can to each other, but there's no need to be uh, not friends or something, you know? So that's, that's important. And in terms of um, the race uh, mechanics, I, I see the women's races closer to what we did, you know, the Browns and myself and, and others uh, back in the day, that's the same type of, of race dynamics. The men's are a bit different. Um, I don't know if the level is probably so similar, so high that it's it's hard. And also the courses have a lot to do with that, you know? Um, you have a race like Yokohama with um, in the rain and a technical course is, is hard to break away or to, you know, uh, no one wants to to fall off, you know, fall off the bike and, and then end up in the hospital. So uh, I think you need good courses for that as well. 
Um, but I always always see this is for that you know there are two types of triathletes: those who go along with the race, and you know if the race go their way, they might have a good result or maybe not. And you know, a good this is a good runner that is in the second group, and for for some reason the groups get together, they might he might have a good race. Um, and this is the other type of athletes, those who actually decide how the race is going to unfold. You know, they go for it, they know what they want, and they will have to make the race go the way they want. And I believe that's what we did in back in the day. And that's what I think the Norwegians try to do as well. Um, and and what Haydn is doing as well, you know, him in Yokohama, you know, having a great swim and being at the front of the race from the beginning, which probably was quite exciting for him you know not having to, to chase that's uh oh, saving yeah. a lot of energy but yeah but being at the front of the race controlling the situation make sure he stays out of trouble um you know he was dictating how the race is going to unfold you know and that's really important not just be be in the race and and see what happens and see what the others do um and i guess just touching like on world series and how they're approaching to make this rivalry like they actually they've actually got awesome things in place and they've got like awesome employees. You know, you have Tommy who's really pushing hard and he's got people, good people around him. Like Courtney, they always message you and always try and get involved. Uh, I think it's just the athletes as well. We just all need to work together and be more proactive because I think they've got some awesome things going on in the background. They've logistic wise, they have some awesome people too, like Ola and, and everything. They're, they're always messaging us saying like, Hey, we're going to be in Spain. We're going to be in potentially in Girona. Do you want to do like a day in the life of so-and-so? Um, so they have things in place. I think it's just, it's also the athletes that maybe have to be also proactive, but I guess communication with, you know, the world uh, triathlon is, um, is to yeah organize something to get that rivalry moving along, you know? I feel that Hayden. I, I feel like the current crop of short course athletes are a little introverted and don't want to show the world who they truly are. And, and also a little bit are afraid of backlash. It might be the, the this thing of growing up in a more social media dominant era where, you know, you put yourself out there too much. It comes with negative backlash that so you sort of, you can't, if you, if you put anything out on Instagram or YouTube or whatever it is, you're going to get people talking shit about you. It's like, it sort of creates like a lot of hassle, but the, they need to realize, hey, we're, we, we're, we're athletes, but we also can build the sport, create um, like a bigger financial pool for us all to grab from if we if we make it entertaining as well. So I think that's an important message for the athletes to spread amongst each other. And you being one of the best in the world and a very influential person going forward, Hayden, it's awesome that you think that. And, and if every short course athlete could go, you know what, fuck it, leading into Paris – Let's build this sport. Let's let's like put ourselves out there. Let's get involved in those videos and let's let's put our stu- ourselves out there on Instagram and TikTok and whatever it is. I think the sport will be better off for for it. Um, moving on though, it's time for my favorite segment of the week uh, and my favorite segment of the the show. I literally I look forward to this segment all week. I've I've messaged Hammer off air a few times about it and you know I, I sort of wanted to the point where it gets to like a Friday and I haven't done yes or no with hammer for a few days. And I just want to ask him to give me a few off air ones so that I can do them. That's how much I enjoy it. So here we are hammer. Uh, yes, no, take me through. Yeah. So this is obviously the second time we're going to run through this one. Uh, the first time we did it was on the, uh, on the first episode of Hayden world's podcast. And I think the biggest talking point from the podcast came from uh, this segment and it was all about Jack's rash. How was <laughs> that rash? Just uh, briefly, Jack. Hey, I, I'm not just joking with you. Like, I don't want to be that person who's like, oh, you know, like I'm so popular. Look how many messages I get. Because generally I don't. 
But this fucking rash, I cannot tell you <laughs> the amount of people that have messaged me about it. And, you know, not just like some like Johnny with 30 Instagram followers and following 3,000 people. Like big dogs in the world sending me little sly DMs, like teasing me about my rash, you know. And I won't name a few of them, but one of them I want to put on blast because he's a good friend of the show. Patrick Lang was relentless with me. Absolutely relentless. <laughs> he, he did it. He did it over multiple days. Just kept reminding me that I need to get it looked at and that kind of thing. So he's banned from the show. He's he's never coming on again. Well, you're lucky. I haven't seen him yet because I'm going to see him potentially see him at the pool tomorrow in Salzburg. So I'll have to hit him up and see see how his potential rash is after that seventy point three he did uh, in the weekend. Yeah, pull down his budgie smugglers and just because if he has like even the tiniest sign of a rash, I want to know about it. Well, um, so we'll, we'll actually move into the actual segment. Um, so I've come with four today. I've got a uh, a couple of serious ones. And the reason why I've come with a couple of serious ones is because we had the man, the myth, the legend on the show today. <laughs> and I'm not talking about myself for once. Um, so pretty much the first thing I want to know, this is perfect. I feel for all three of us, especially because Javier is pretty much a Kiwi. Um do you think there needs to be more WTS events down under in Australia and New Zealand? I don't care if they're in Australia, but do you think there should be more of them here? Well, definitely. Yes. That's a yes for me here. We used to. <laughs> yeah. Like it used to be, it used to be so good. Wasn't it like it was the year before I got into the sport. It was gold coast, um, Malibu, New Plymouth. And then you head to Yokohama. Wasn't it Harvey? Yeah, uh, different things, different years. But I remember mm. doing a couple of going down there, do a couple of World Cups, the Mulubani Plymouth, and then uh, Auckland WTS. And I think there was a year where we'd had Sydney WTS in Auckland, you know. So, I mean, considering how important triathlon is in Australia and New Zealand, it would be fair to have a couple of big races there. I feel like they're missing out so much at the moment. Um, and this is not to pump Hayden's tires or anything, but like Hayden is a legitimate, like, household name in the country at the moment and it all started from that olympic games like they could really have something special and you really saw it in new plymouth for the world cup um and just how many people came down like hayden's personality you got taylor reed there as well who is another huge personality having those type of guys this kind of goes on what jack was talking about in his observation as well where it's kind of when you said it's a little bit like dying but in new zealand it's thriving because of the likes of hayden and taylor reed who are actually really, really pumping the sport at the moment just because of how good of the personality that they have. And obviously, they're pretty damn good athletes as well. So I think we need to uh, get some more down here. What do you reckon, Jack? Yeah, I think yes. Um, I see it firsthand in Australia that we are, we're suffering. Our domestic racing scene is a little bit um, average. And I think lack of, of WTCS racing does equate to less depth in the sport. So from that point of view, yes. Um, on a grand scale, I'm not so sure, though. Like, I, one of my favourite races that I've ever watched was WT, WTS Sydney in 2011 that, that Javier actually won um, and has already forgotten about that he even won because he won so many races. Um, but I don't know, like, where is the talent in triathlon? Where's the interest in it? I would say that it's it's in America and, and Europe right now. I, I would say that it's got a bigger following there. There's more athletes there than, than what there is in Australia and New Zealand. Like, yes, New Zealand has a, a really good athlete. Australia has a couple of really good athletes. But, I mean, you follow the crowd. There's a, there's a, a reason why, you know, 
the F1 spends most of its time um, in the places it does and, and there's a reason why triathlon is spending most of its time in the places it is. So it's tricky. My heart says, yes, bring it, bring more down. My, 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 my brain says, maybe there's a reason why they're not. And it's on a quickly like dabble that for like 30 seconds is there's definitely more of a presence heading into the US as well, because around my age, uh, I know a lot of students are going over to the States and doing athletics and NCAA, but there's also now America is opening up the pathway for short course NCAA racing and getting full-time scholarships to go to the schools for triathlon. And it was huge for athletics and it still is huge for athletics, but now they're kind of dabbling more into triathlon, which is giving athletes from New Zealand, those full-time scholarships to go to like Oklahoma or something. And it's actually getting a little bit bigger in the States, which is cool. All right. We'll move on to um, my second question. Um, this is more of a, I guess, a pre-race one. Jack, you can obviously get involved with this because you're a fantastic age group athlete. Um, so do you have any superstitions? Because I've heard so many stories about athletes, you know, wearing the same socks and never changing those socks, like never even washing those socks, the same jockeys, not even washing those jockeys or they have them in their bag all the time. Do you guys have any superstitions? Like your pillow? Hey, settle down. Don't personally attack me like that. All right. I just a quick one. Hamish has got this pillow. He has not watched it, washed it or touched it for about 20 years. It is the ugliest looking thing. It doesn't even have a pillow cover or anything. This thing is yellow. It's falling apart. You put in the sun, that, that girl's disintegrating. It is terrible. <laughs> it's horrific. That's a personal attack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're a bad man. But no, I don't because we, we travel too much around the world and I feel like if you get too caught up on something and they don't have it for you in that country, um, you might, you know, go into a bit of a spiral. But I know the ladies, like, they're, like, nail polish and fake tans pre-race and stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, personally, uh, yeah, I like to repeat the same routines, especially if I have a good race, but not to the point that if I can't do it because it's Hayden's there, you know, you're traveling around the world and you can't find sometimes what you exactly what you want to eat pre-race or you know things like that so i'm quite quite easy quite flexible with with that i i never did for racing and you know like i, I am retired um do still consider myself a great age group triathlete despite not racing um <laughs> but i have i have a weird day-to-day -day one like i have a like a superstition that i do every day that i'm convinced if i don't do i don't know like whether i'll die or you know get diagnosed with a terminal disease i don't know what i think but i definitely have it and it's that everything i do in the shower i do in the exact same way every day so like my showers are identical every single time i have them but they never change that's odd and it's down to like every detail like literally every detail like obviously you start with rash cream to get the get the shower started <laughs> no comment <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to do you like that, Jack. Sorry to do you like that. That's a blimmin' interesting one. Jeez. So your showers must be timed to the exact same thing every single day. When I did have the rash, though, and I, sometimes I don't know why I talk, but I've started talking, so i got to finish it. When I did have the rash, I moved into this new house, and it has this big mirror that's like um, when you're in the shower, it's a really – it's a, it's a height where you can see your full naked body when you look. And it's like we have like a real fluorescent light in the in the bathroom. And so that mirror shows everything and it's not flattering. And when I did have that rash for the six to seven day period, I couldn't like I would I'd walk into that bathroom with my head down. And when I'd like take my clothes off to have a shower, I like had to look away. I couldn't like every time I looked in the mirror, it was so bad. That I was like, Ugh, and because of the fluorescent lighting and 
So yeah. Don't even look yourself in the eyes. <laughs> All right, number three. How you got how how you got us, Hamish? <laughs> how you got us? <laughs> Sorry, mate, we'll move off the rash. Okay. Um, I would love to know this one. Um, have you guys this is Sorry, Jack, but no one's actually ever seen your face. So I'll go for Hayden and Harvey here. Um, have you ever played the do you know who I am card? Um, no, but people around me do. Like who? Like if I'm with someone and they say, you know, if we're in a rush or or when it's not getting served, someone does that. Like if we're in New Zealand, they're like, Craig, my coach, he just does it for the Mickey. He's like, do you know who this guy is? <laughs> and it's like, get out of here. Like... Come on, mate. You're kidding me. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> I definitely reckon you've done it before, Hayden. Nah, never done it. I've asked, like, I've I've had kids look into my soul with a big smile on their face, and I walk up to them and I say, oh, we'd like a photo. Because they're just looking they're straight like, no into thanks. my soul. And they're like, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Hayden, do you want a photo of me wild is what they call them. That's so funny. Like, just picturing... <laughs> He's just assuming this kid wants want a photo of him. He's just looking. He's just looking straight into my soul. I'm like, I oh, don't know. What have I done something? Or do I have something on me? Or does he want something? I don't know. It's, it was. It's happened a couple of times, and it's classic. What about you, Harvey? No, I, I haven't really done that that way. So aggressively, like you know who I am. But if I need someone to know who I am for whatever reason, because I need something, I might find a way to let him know who I am without telling him who I am. Oh, I think I've gone your way for sure. I've done that for sure. Yeah, yeah. But only if it's, only if it's really necessary. <laughs> Javier, give me an example. Um, I don't know. Well, if you're with someone, uh, it's easier that someone as Hayden says, you know, let people know who I am. Oh, but other than that, I don't know. Well, if you're in a race with your national uniform and someone says, oh, this, you know, it's Javier Gomez, can you please? <laughs> it's nothing, you know, but yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's not, uh, yeah, try not to use it a lot. <laughs> Always make sure that you've got your tri suit on hand so you can just, you know, either put on if you're going out for dinner or something. Yeah, with, with your <laughs> name on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've got the Olympic tattoo on my forearm. So, like, People just look at me, but they don't know what I've been to the games for. So like, oh, so you've been to Olympics. I'm like, oh, how do you know? And then I look back, I'm like, oh, shit, that's right. I got a tattoo on my arm. But that, that always, then that churns up. And then they're like, oh, how'd you go? I'm like, oh, yeah, I kind of, I did all right. And it was a really good day for me. And then they ask and they're like, oh, crap. <laughs> Would you say it's an easy way to get a dinner reservation, Hayden? Just, just show them your forearm. <laughs> and, uh, okay, you're going to understand why I've asked this one last. Um, it's a bit of a take the piss. Um, it's important, but it's a bit of a take the piss as well. So is transition the most important aspect of triathlon? Uh, well, I did make a brand new world triathlon rule. Um, it's so funny because I always feel a little bit embarrassed when I, it's uh, so, so Harvey, when, you know, when you go to the, Thursday night, it's uh, it's they're going over the course and the rules and stuff. And now they've got two new rules whenever they right. bring it up. So the two new rules are you're not allowed to touch your helmet ever. So like, because before you're allowed to like do whatever you want, you can, you know, touch your balls, you can, you know, touch your helmet, yeah. you can touch your helmet here, there. You, that, if you have your hand anywhere close to your strap, they'll penalize you straight away. Oh, man. 
So, and then the other one is they're really aggressive on like bike conduct. So they're like, if we see you're impeding another athlete on the bike, we'll penalize you. And it's same. It's the same as the run now. So they're really aggressive on that stuff these days. Oh wow! But uh, I guess now transition is like you kind of got to double think it now because I guess in Yokohama, I actually in the end actually didn't have the fastest run at all, but I was up the road. Um, and I came off the bike with those two lads, you know, Matt and, and Vasco, but I had a real good transition, got the third fastest time out of those three. Uh, but still, yeah, I guess still got the win because I had a really good transition. Yeah. It, I mean, it's definitely important, but I wouldn't say the most important thing. I mean, you need to run sub 30 minutes for 10K, you know, it doesn't matter how fast you just transition that if you don't run fast, there's <laughs> nothing you can do. But um, yeah, and, and sprint races even more, definitely. You need to uh, do them well and. I was always really good in the first transition, never so good in the second one. But I don't know, I guess from a swim background, even if I didn't have a great swim, I was able to run really fast. And most of the races I had the best time in the in the first transition. And that allowed me to make the first group many times, actually. So that saved me uh, in a few occasions. But um, yeah, it's definitely not the most important. Yeah, this is. I'm not going to expand on that too much. No, I reckon I could do a list of 15 to 20 things more important than, than either transition. Mm-hmm. The, the, the question I would have on that is like a subcategory question to, to Hayden and, and Javier. Is T1 or T, T2 more important? It kind of depends where you are, Harvey, I guess. For me, most of the time, T1 is super important. So I'm very like uh, Harvey where I've had transitions 10, 15 seconds faster than others because I have to sprint out of the water then get on my bike as fast as possible. And that saved saved my ass getting into that second group or first group where the set, set, uh, transition one, like for me, I'm a little bit more confident in my running uh, ability. So if I lose one or two seconds, I'm not too worried unless it's like Alex, uh, who's Alex or Morgan or or one of the really top runners who have got maybe two or three seconds on me then you got to think, okay, don't bridge that gap of two, three seconds because you'd be running a, a 2.40 in a 5K race instead of like a 2.45 like they're out running. So it's, uh, for me personally, it's uh, T, T1. Yeah, for me, if it's a very short race, maybe T2, but in a standard distance Olympic distance race, uh, maybe T1 is more important just to make sure you don't miss the, you know, the lead pack or whatever you are. Uh, could, uh, you know, determine how the race is going to be. Um, so, so yeah, T1 is, is also really important. And I guess I was used to not having a great T2 and I loved, kind of started running not really at the front and having people to chase. Um, and those occasions where I had a great T2 and I was at the front from the beginning, I didn't really know what to do, <laughs> you know? So am I running too fast, too slow? You know, whereas when you have people in, in front of you, you kind of, you know, you see what your pace is, what the pace of the leaders is, and, and you kind of play with that. Yeah, that actually helped me so much in Hamburg. I had a terrible T2 and I was like 30th out, but they were coming out of transition going onto that main straight. It was super windy. So all the guys in the front were running so hard and I was kind of with, uh, I forgot his name, but I was with one of the guys and we were just like sitting through all the guys, but we were so protected from everyone. And then by the time I got to the front, I didn't use as much energy. And then the second lap I could go, but it was uh, it, that was kind of like also yeah, I guess some tactics you could use too. Yeah, as long as you are not too far back. I mean, being in the fifth, sixth position is not too bad out of T two. Hayden and Hammer, before we wrap the show up today, I just wanted to ask Javier a couple of really quick questions, and it's inspired by yes or no with Hammer. I think we went a, b- a bit away from the yes or no today, and we went to the essay answer. So we might have to get back to the the sh- sort of shorter poppy answers next week. 
Um, so I'm going to I'm going to transition into this. Javier, I want one word answers. I don't want like a one word answer with a but maybe this this. I just want I want no okay. fence sitting one word answers to to finish the show. Who's going to win the men's Paris Olympics? <laughs> um, that's harsh. Come on, you you, you put the guy yeah. on the spot massively. Well, I'm, I'm yeah okay. Just one word. Okay, say so Mario Mola. Sorry, Hayden. Who, who's going to win the female Paris Olympics? Uh, uh, Georgia Taylor Brown. Who's the greatest triathlete to have ever lived? <laughs> Alistair Brownlee. If you could come back and win one race before you retire, what would it be? Um, Ironman World Champs. And do you think you are capable of doing that? Uh, yes. Otherwise, I wouldn't be trying it. <laughs> you love it. <laughs> I have lots of butts, though, but I'll, I'm not allowed to say them. <laughs> I just want to. I just want to put something out there. I think if Harvey, if you win Ironman World Champs, you would be the first ever person to win every single World Championships uh, ever. So, like that'd be Kona or Nice, whatever, it, wherever that Ironman want to take it. Um, ITU World Champs. Xterra uh, World yeah, Series, yeah, 70.3. And yeah, Christian has them all except Xterra, yeah. And yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make my life and do for that guy not to win Xterra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll block him for you, Harvey. I'll block him for you, <laughs> yeah. Thanks, mate. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, cool. So, um, I guess we'll wrap that up. Unfortunately, I wanted to obviously do my rant, but we'll do my rant next week. So that means we've got a little bit more pop in the next podcast, but um. Yeah, thank you so much, Harvey, for coming on. It was I was I've actually been quite excited for the last week, um, waiting for this Monday for you to come on. As much of a, a Spaniard you are, you're you're also a Kiwi at heart as well. So I yes. I wish you um yeah I wish you a good recovery and hope to see you on the start lines soon. Um, real good, obviously friends with your coach Dan. So um, I hope you guys work together to get to the bottom of it. And yeah, I think everyone is so keen to get you back on the start line. Like I know Alistair and and uh frodo have been back on the line but i think people are just forgetting that there's still one big rig waiting to get back on the line and i'm i'm for personally i'm excited for you to get back onto the start line so best of luck with that um hammer hamish um have a good night mate i know it's late at back home and jack it was a pleasure once again so yeah, another another episode next week on Monday and another guest appearance from another ITU current uh, athlete. So, yeah, should be good fun. Thanks, boys. Very good, boys. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Thanks.